Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Allies of Convenience, uh, the international competitive Warhammer 40,000 podcast. I'm your host, Logan, uh, and we are back for another episode. Uh, we are rapidly approaching 8th uh, edition. It's going to be with us in literally a couple of weeks now. Uh, Games Workshop have been steadily releasing information, tidbits, snippets, glimpses into how the game's going to be working and it's looking very interesting very exciting in fact they have just uh, yesterday i think it was shown us the brand new primaris space marines uh, and they're looking pretty cool uh, all new all singing all dancing big boy space marines uh, ready for eighth edition so we've been sharing and posting that stuff up on the facebook page you can follow that at facebook.com forward slash aoc podcast uh, you can get in touch with us, leave us any messages, any feedback. It's much appreciated. Uh, of course, in terms of feedback, we love when you leave us uh, reviews on iTunes. If you subscribe to us through iTunes, a five-star review and a positive comment really helps us. Uh, we are trying to get back on track with this regular content. We want people to hear it. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, shout out to Bella Lost Souls, uh, reviewing the podcast as well. We always appreciate when you guys do that. Loads of stuff to talk about, but uh, on this episode, we are still covering uh, one of the uh, most important competitive events of the calendar, and it's probably going to be the last major 7th edition 40k tournament. It's the London GT. It was covered by Games Workshop's own Warhammer TV on stream over the weekend. It happened, uh, and we have the winner, Nathan Roberts. We're going to be talking to him uh, about his experience at the London GT, uh, his uh, his list, what he won, uh, his experience there, and uh, of course we're going to be talking to him about his his thoughts on what he's seen so far on Eighth Edition, and just generally how Games Workshop's doing uh, transitioning into the new game. So, without any further ado, let's get into this. So this past weekend was the London Grand Tournament uh, and we are speaking to the winner, a man that we are very familiar with, he's uh, had an incredible run in 7th uh, in edition and obviously many editions beforehand, um, but you are probably going to be the man who sends off 7th edition on top, how does that feel Mr Nathan Roberts? That does feel good. Um... We do have kind of nicknames on our little England chat, like England EDC team chat, which people were saying maybe I should rechange mine to 7th Ed King. <laughs> but just winning the last tournament doesn't really count, to be honest. I think Josh has probably won most of them, as has quite a few other people. But no, it's a really nice way to end 7th edition, bringing in 8th. Uh, and you did, of course, manage to defeat your brother, I think, um, for, the, for the title. Is that correct in the final game? No, we played ah. round three. Okay. See, I um, wasn't there, so my information is off. But you, at least you beat him, so you'll have that bragging rights. Yes. After the many, many times we've either drawn or I've lost, this was the first time I've actually 
beating Josh to then go on to win a tournament. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's nice. <laughs> and he did it without using Eldar as well, which is wonderful. Yeah, which makes a nice change. Not that you were nice slumming it with, yeah. a, with a bottom tier list by any means. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, mine had its um, nastiness all to itself. Uh, so let's go through the list. We may as well um, for the few weeks that people still care. Um, but it's interesting to look at it anyway. So you ran Demons. Yep, just solo Demons. This event was only two sources. So uh, most ETC events are kind of four. But this one was just two. And the way it worked, my list was a combined arms detachment for demons. So I had the mask, a level three disc herald uh, with no upgrades, a level three disc herald with the paradox, uh, who is my warlord. So I get the rerollable warlord trait, which is really useful for the zinch table. Mm-hmm. Then one unit of 11 brimstones, one unit of 10 brimstones, an age of defense line with a comms relay. And then as my second source, I had a Burning Sky Host. So rather than being a part of an incursion army, I just took the formation by itself. Uh, so I've got another level 3 Herald on a disc with an Exalted Reward. So in all of my games, I chose Grimoire, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Then I have a unit of 7 Screamers, 5 units of 6 Screamers, and then three units of four screamers. So for Jesus a total of Christ. 49. 49 screamers, three heralds, and a handful of uh, brimstones. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's not part of an incursion. So tell us a little bit how that works, uh, why you went for that, w- what the benefits are over the standard incursion, and why there are so many goddamn Skyfires in there. That's uh, right. Uh, so, <laughs> Skyfires, I mean AOS mode. So, yeah. so many screamers in there. Uh, well, the kind of list basically started with, I'm not the best list writer in the world, but Josh and those kind of people who I'm around a lot, they do help a bit. And the original concept of the list was I had uh, 57 Screamers and then some Sisters of Silence to debunk powers and I had very little in the way of actual power dice. The list has kind of changed with what I've been playing against. You play... It was originally designed as an ETC list to be able to play against other Eldar armies, other demon armies, and just generally be able to take advantage of the current Maelstrom missions that the ETC plays, as well as just the scoring system itself. So the list kind of works because what everyone else is taking are these kind of squishier jet bike units, or they're taking more MSU armies... And it just kind of got born from there where I started using a lot of Screamers and they just worked really well. They're so fast. They can deep strike. They work so well because I could basically move, kill something, and then get the objective. It was never really a choice of, oh, I need to go to that objective, oh, but I want to go kill something over there. Mm. And it was just one of those speed is kind of key. Um Originally, I did run it in an incursion list, but I felt with the current way they've kind of FAQ'd incursion, it didn't really make much benefit to me. The only, in regards to, I mean, the objective scoring. So you had to be, at the end of the turn, you had to be on the objective to then corrupt it, and then if you moved off it. But when you've got nine units of screamers, 
it didn't you didn't need to be on all the objectives all the time. The plus or minus one on the warp storm table would be very nice, but I exclusively use the Zinch table purely based on the fact that there's very little that actually is a negative for my army. Um, but yeah, what I also needed in the list was the Age of Defense line with the comms relay, something you'd have to take a CAD for anyway if you weren't going to take Incursion. Because you and are the deep striking just... the Screamers. Yes, you need the comms okay. relay. Yeah. Because the way, because of the size of the Brimstone models, they're so small, if you put them against the back of the board edge and then put an Age of Defense line in the way, you can't see them. Unless you're... <laughs> within about an inch of the wall, or you're a really tall model, you pretty much cannot see them. So basically, a lot of games, I'd set up just two units of brimstones behind a defense line with the comms relay, and then I'd deep strike the rest of my army, and majority of it turns up turn two. Mm. Uh, so I always get the drop on people. Uh, how are you using the mask? Is that um, uh, Death Star mitigation, or, or how, any other ways that that works? It's death, death Star Mitigation, but the other reason I have it is the Wraith Knight. Most lists have mm. one or two Wraith Knights, and even for 75 points, she comes down, she slows one down. I can hit enough jet bikes. I normally will slow the, slow the Yunari one down. I can use that to then plan my sweeps a lot better and reduce the amount of soul bursting he has. Because the issue you've got against Eldar is every time you came down, you'd sweep a load, kill load. Then he'd move with his Wraith Knight because he's normally soul bursting. Um, and then he'd move again and charge. So whatever your most important unit was, he'd normally charge it with his Wraith Knight. So it's a way of basically, yeah, slowing down Death Star, slowing down Assassins. But also, one of my games this weekend, I used it to the minus one, make a, a Storm Surge BS1. That was really useful. Mm. And then she's just... She's invaluable to have for 75 points. And if you can... Because I've got the three level threes, you can go for Cursed Earth, Grimoire Her. She's on a two-plus rollable invent. So she can kind of stay around. It was my only really defense against Wolfstar. Or Kennelstar, sorry. Mm. So... Um... What did you end up playing against? Uh, obviously, Inari, I'd imagine, was a, at least one, possibly possibly five or six. Um, but, yeah, how many... Uh, did, what, what did you end up playing over the weekend? What was the general meta as well, if you don't mind? Uh... Yeah, the general meta was interesting, actually, because cause it's two source. You didn't see as many Death Stars as a normal event, which then brings the rise of... Tau and Elder Armies. There was quite a lot of Yunari. I think it was over half, about half the field were Yunari or had Yunari in their lists. Mm. So when it's a 106-man event or 105-man event, there's a lot of Eldar around. You then saw a lot of Tau Armies because Tau Armies at two source do struggle a little bit because they can't get their CAD and multiple formations. So they were and more... And they can't get the, uh, the Kalexus in as well that they, they definitely need... Um, yes, that was the issue. They pretty much didn't have any psychic defense. Mm. But yeah, around a lot of the top tables, it was Wolfstar, a lot of Eldar, quite a few Riptides. Um, yeah, the normal things. But what I actually played this weekend's first game, because it's random draw, I played Necrons, which is actually a really tough game for my army. 
but I was lucky enough that I got two misfortunes, which makes the game a lot easier. And it just came down to a when we totted it all up at the end, I just about scored a 20 nil by a difference of 19 points because I got a little bit lucky on Maelstrom cards. He got a bit unlucky with a few saves sometimes, but having the double misfortune made a huge difference. Um, second game, I played Tau, which normally, again, it can be a very, very difficult matchup for me, but because he had no psychic defense, I was lucky enough that I got the plus one invun for Zinch units within nine inches of the Warlord. Mm-hmm. And then I got Cursed Earth as well. So I have 49 <clears throat> yeah. streamers on three plus three or one invuns. So I don't really care about Tau Firepower that much. Mm. He didn't really have much in the way of Intercept. He didn't have Intercept on his Storm Surge. Didn't have Intercept on his two broadside units. So it was a case of just coming down, sweep. I have got three plus three or ones. He doesn't do anything back to me. Then I just charge his whole army. The last, turn four, he had a, all he had left was a Storm Surge. I just misfortuned it and charged him with the 40 remaining Screamers I had. <laughs> so it was a case of his 160 rending attacks. Have fun with that. Um, then I played Josh, game three. Yeah, That was my most difficult game of the weekend. Josh... Most Eldar players I feel quite good against because my army designed play Eldar and most people haven't played a list like mine. But obviously Josh helped me write the list and Josh obviously knows my army back to front as well as I do. So Josh was using 50 Yunari Warp Spiders, Wraith mm-hmm. Knight, and then two <coughs> units of Sisters in Rhinos as well. So okay. they managed to shut all my powers down so I couldn't misfortune anything. Uh, it looked very drawy at one stage, and it was an issue of I got choice of turn, which is massive against that army. If my whole army turns up, and then he drops all 50 spiders on me and shoots first, it's a very different game. Mm. It can be quite difficult. Um, but thankfully I got choice. Half of Josh's army turned up. I swept it all to death. Bits came down, he then did damage. It was practically mutual death. He had, uh, I think, what did he have left? He had his Wraith Knight and one spider left at the end of the game. I had a Brimstone unit, maybe a handful of 12 Screamers and a Herald left. I'd imagine those turns must take forever because you're you're, you're basically going to be swoop, um, sweep attacking... The spiders, they're going to be triggering. I mean, are you, are you aiming to sort of like hamstring units and then move on? Yeah, the kind of way my list... Because I've got the three units of four, I desire, I specifically took units of four to play jet bikes and to play spiders where mm. I can kill like half the units so I don't trigger any yep, yep. Uh, issues. And then I'll kill a, I'll try and kill a full unit with my seven-man unit or my six-man unit mm. if I get a bit lucky. I'll try and kill them that way. And then if he does try and shoot me back, he those units next to the original unit I've just killed are depleted in some way so they don't really hurt me back. Because mm. uh, just playing Yunari now <clears throat> is just an attrition war. Thankfully, hopefully in eight, that's all gone. So that won't be an issue. Well, we should get uh, on to that in a bit, but yeah, let's carry on. Yeah. Uh, so, end of day one, I got 
quite lucky against Josh to get the few points I needed. Uh, so it ended up being 13-7, which I'll take. I think that's a good result against a Josh and against a 50-watt spider list in that way. I'll, Josh got quite unlucky with the way he failed a lot of toughness checks. So I'd maybe sweep a sister unit, kill two or three, then he'd fail a toughness check and the warp flame would kill the rest of the unit. So he got a bit, unluck- a bit unlucky with quite a few of those rolls. But they are 50-50s when you toughness three. Mm. Going into day two, I then played uh, a guy named Aiden, who I believe is uh, a part of the Scottish team. He was using uh, two Yunara Reborn war hosts. So he had a Farseer, a Wraith Knight, an Aspect Warrior host, so three units of five warp spiders, and then... Uh, another warlock is his other HQ in the other CAD, effectively. And then 12 units of three Unari jet bike units. So it's a a lot of shots, mm-hmm. a lot of small units. Um, but what basically ended up happening was he had choice of turn, but the issue he had is he set up his whole army, which means that I could do my little trick with the um, brimstone. He <coughs> can't see me. He makes me go first, which is the right thing to do. Um, and then he moves his army around, gets some objectives. He gets some decent cards on the first turn. But then my army comes down, and I kill seven of the 12 jet bike units. And then he's put, he's positioned basically four clumps in each corner uh, of jet bikes and the he's put a load next to my brimstone horrors and I don't think he expected me to do it. I charged my 21 brimstones <laughs> into his jet bikes because I'm like, well, you're a bit crap in combat, so hmm. all I have to do is tie you down, Yep. then I'll misfortune your Wraith Knight, sweep him to death, and eventually I'll come back and kill those jet bikes who are in combat. And if I kill any jet bikes, it's four pluses, then sixes to wound. He then takes a war flame check, so it's one of those. In the end, that then that was a tabling by turn six. Uh, and then going into the last round, I had to play a good friend of mine, Tony Chu, okay. who we have a weird thing going on where we have played about six times in recent years in tournaments, five of which in scouring. And this just so happened to be table one last game in scouring. Uh. Now, <coughs> against Tony, this is a difficult matchup because he's using Corn uh, Demonkin. So two units of 16 Flesh Hounds, the five Sorcerers in the Cabal, and mm-hmm. then the two Heldrakes as part of a Flyer Wing. Mm-hmm. So... He's in the corner where pretty much all the scouring objectives are. He's got the main power he needed, which was shrouding, and there's a load of four plus ruins. So basically, he can just sit 32 dogs with characters all on two plus cover saves. I can't really do a whole lot to them, on, even when I'm sweeping on two plus saves. He just goes through me. So I thought this was a really, really bad matchup for me. What ended up happening was. Again, I got the plus one invun for my army, uh, from the Warlord trait, and I got quite a few cursed. I actually yep. got all three heralds with cursed earth. 
So it meant that he couldn't really put enough dice in to stop me getting my army on a 3 plus 3 or 1s. My army came down turn 2. And what had happened in the previous turn is he tried to cast uh, Shrouding and he only got a 1 success. So unfortunately, even though he can reroll failed casts, he only got he still casts it on one dice. I had four dice and I roll a six. So he doesn't have shouting. Oh. So his dog's on a four plus save. My army comes down, I mask one unit, and then I sweep pretty much whole the unit with characters. Mm. I kill I didn't actually kill as many as I'd liked. I killed about twelve and a half dogs. But it's effectively that unit's crippled. All his characters, two of them are taken a wound. Um, so what Tony does is he joins them to the other unit and then kind of electro places and allows the dogs that way to do a big charge, multi-charge. But the issue Tony had was my whole army was on 3 plus 3 or 1 in buttons. And when Hounds, Flesh Hounds multi-charge, they're not like Kennel Star, where your Fenrisian Wolves are actually still quite good. Yeah, yeah. Flesh Hounds, when they multi-charge, get two strength four attacks, <coughs> which is, when I've got three plus three or one invuns, it's not that scary no, at all. No, not at all. They've only got five plus invun, so again, they're not that resilient either. And because I've masked the unit, they're also weapon skill one. So he's actually fours, then fours against me with... 32 attacks, so it's not particularly scary. So I win that combat, and then we're kind of locked in combat. I then decide that rather than buffing my whole army, I'm going to use my Grimoire to minus one from his Invun, because he's Demon. Yeah. So he's on 6 plus Invun, and I charge in and go, here's 180 Screamer yeah. attacks, yeah. and your weapon skill 1. So that unit pretty much got annihilated. He had some sorcerers running around on all wounded in the remains of the other dog star. But by that point, I'd got all the scouring. My maelstrom really picked up. And we were we could have squeezed in turn five, but we counted up the points on turn four. And it was one of those. It was already 20 nil to me. We drew maelstrom for the next turn, and it was going to be 20 nil. So we didn't even play turn five. Mm. Because it was just a case of, I've locked down, because he's not got hit and run. Hit the, his last flesh hand units with wounded characters in, are in combat with a 2 plus rollable invun screamer unit. Mm -hmm. So he can't really do anything else. So thankfully that ended up, I had a perfect day two where I got 40 out of 40, and I've ended up on 93 out of 100. So mm. I was lucky not to play my worst matchup, which is Kennel Star, and I was lucky enough to play two Yunari. Which is my better matchup, um, and yeah, somehow I won that event. What was the uh, what was the specific format in terms of the missions? Were they playing um, like uh, were they playing kill points, modified kill points as well every game? Or so it was actually quite different. So it's, it was <coughs> I should have really ATC. asked that at the start. Really, so. Sorry, I should have really asked that at the start. I'm too used to assuming yeah. formats now. I know it was slightly different. So yeah, go ahead, let me know. So effectively, it was. ETC, but with tweaks. So it's a sliding scale, 20, 0 to 20. Yeah. Um, but the way it differed from the ETC is the way that... At the ETC, you make up your points. So you need 19... A difference of 19 points between you and your opponent to get a 20-0. The way you do it at the ETC is it's up to 8 kill points. 
cap. So a difference of eight kill points, you get up to eight yep. points. Maelstrom's unlimited, so you can get as much Maelstrom as you want. And then primary objectives. So most objectives are worth three, some are three, two, one, some are two, whatever. So it's still advantageous for your build regardless you can wreck up the maelstrom you obviously have a risk of losing the the kill points you probably are going to lose the kill points uh, against most people the way this event worked though is they didn't use kill points in every game oh that's even better for you then so <laughs> what i actually found on my list is i'm not actually too bad with kill points because i've only got 14 or 15 in my list mm. and most of them are characters in big units of screamers or they're seven or six man units of screamers which unless you actually dedicate fire to them and mm. if i've not got three plus three or ones or a units on a two plus three all of Linvan, i don't actually find that I'm, i was losing many kill points when i played games mm. that was one of my issues that i had when i was using incursion version of demons is it had a lot more kill points in it and i found i was losing points that i didn't need to lose it took away from my maelstrom well, you've got the you've got the two units of brimstones that you said are effectively invisible unless you really make the effort to yeah. go and get them. You've got what is it four kill points in one unit that's going to be on three up reroll ones invulnerables as well. So I'm assuming you're putting the the three heralds all in the in the one big unit of uh, screamers. I actually found I didn't. I pretty much never joined them all to the same unit because because okay. uh, of the way the, the etc kind of works with the. Uh, ruling is you can't cast the same power from the same unit. So if I want to flicker and fire, mm. they've got to be split up. Yep, yep. And also, if I have cursed earth, so and you fail once, a bit and... yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I actually found that I never joined things together because what would normally end up happening is screamers actually they're okay in combat, but if you have something like a wraith knight or you have a knight or you have anything half decent in combat, if you charge the unit with my three heralds. It it can be really really bad. And that if was you obviously fail that the issue. No that was the issue when Screamer Star first came around, and that if you could bog it down, then you can just play around it. If because obviously there's no hit and run, exactly. there's no way of that. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> yeah. Makes sense. So I was never eggs in baskets, and I, I'm not a Death Star player by any mm. means. I've tried them before, and I'm, I'm not my kind of. Well, that's what I, I wanted to talk about a little bit as well. So, um, obviously, it was a very good weekend. 93 out of 100 points was great. Um, I'll ask you a little bit about your experience at the London GT, because I think it's the second one they've done. Is that correct? Or? Yeah, it's the second yeah. year. Um, but I, I remember um, you winning the event with uh, a sister's list before anyone was really looking at them. Uh, yeah, somehow. At all. <laughs> well, it, was, it was really well put together. It was very clever. Um, so, you, you've always generally... Not weak, weaker, but different, different lists. Um, a little bit out of the box. Um, is that something that you particularly make an effort to do? Um, yeah, I've always been against just. I have a thing of people making up player ability by just taking net lists or just taking mm. what they think is the best, and I, I don't see. There's no challenge in that. If you take Unari Eldar and do really well, it's okay, that's fine. But if you're, if half the top 10 are Unari, then that's not really a challenge. It's a difference of, I seek enjoyment by getting points out of lists that maybe don't do as much. I played Tyranids for ages when they were kind of mid to top tier. Played Demons for a while, mid to top tier. I used Sisters that one time just for a goof and it paid off. <laughs> but it's always been... What's the meta? What are people using? What can I build that's actually good against a lot of people? 
and that's just how I've always kind of chosen my lists. And I just think demons are much more fun to play than Yunari, where you actually have to use a bit of skill to use them and use a bit of um, effectively know-how mm. uh, rather than just, oh, I've got the cookie cutter, I've got 100 strength 6 shots at 36 inches, and if you try and kill me, I'm going to shoot you again. Um, somebody put it on the England chat, put it the right way. Yeah, Yanari's the cancer of 40k, and my list was the chemotherapy. <laughs> um, so that was a nice little anecdote. But yeah, that's kind of the way I prefer to play the game, because it's more enjoyable. I'd rather win trying to do something difficult than... Well, I think it, it's it's a it's a case of like, do you care about winning or do you care about challenging yourself and you know it, it actually being a, a game in which you have to. I mean, not anyone. You know, you can't take someone off the street that barely knows how to play and give them an Ari list and they'll win. But um, it's certainly, as you said, when when half of the field is there, it's like fifth edition Grey Knights. Like the, the, yeah. In a dice game, weight of numbers really, really, really does matter. And the weight of numbers in the Inari, like let's take units that are already the best units in the game and somehow manage to make them better. Uh, you know, yeah, because they're really struggling before. <coughs> yeah, those jet somehow. bikes just weren't good enough. The Wraith Knights weren't pulling their weight. Their exactly. points cost... <laughs> Yeah, so God knows what they were thinking when they put that book out. But thankfully, we are we are moving on. So um, yeah, your general impressions of the London GT? It's good. It's it's nice to obviously there's not many seventh edition tournaments that have actually pulled big numbers in mm. this kind of year space. Obviously, you've got the normal ones like Caledonian. They still pull big numbers because of the reputation and prestige and size of those events. <laughs> Um, but no, this was a nice one to, rather than being in the Northwest, like most larger tournaments are, Yeah, it was nice to go somewhere different and it was nice to see a lot of different faces. Obviously there's still quite a few of the Scottish guys are there, quite a few of the, um, English team members are there. Simon was there, uh, from the Welsh team. So it was nice to catch up with your normal friends, but it was also nice to have a different field of people to play against. Mm. Uh, the tables were quite good. A lot of the tables had the rubber mats on, which made them look ten times better than just a painted green. Great, board. great innovation. Those things are the gaming. Yeah, works. I love those things. Like, and I, and I, they can I, certain ones can really make it re- a lot easier for deployment and stuff as well. Um, yes, because they have the easier. secretly designed with the the deployment shapes on as well, which I really I think is a great touch. Yeah. <clears throat> the terrain was really good. Um, there was the odd table which looked very barren which is nice because sometimes I do feel that tournaments that that have too much line of sight blocking do make certain armies more favourable so it's nice to be able to have the actual table you're playing on make a difference in your game Mm. Um, especially around the top tables the terrain was really really good Uh, I think that was due to they wanted to do GW was there so I think they wanted to do the, some streaming. But then, because kind of GW's not been an influence in the 40k scene for quite a long time, a lot of people had representation models or proxy mm. models. So there was a lot of armies around the top tables which couldn't be filmed, so it's why they didn't like stream the top tables like they would at an AOS event where they are more 
engaged and more active in running tournaments and being alongside AOS events. Mm. Um, and of course, there's a lot of a lot more newer models out there for AOS, and people are buying new armies for that more often. I think. Definitely. Yeah, of course. There's less. Um, there's quite a lot more sci-fi miniatures on the market than there are um, fancy models. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was still really good event to go to. Glad I went to it. Um, I kind of bought the ticket on a whim. Ale- uh, our, my friend Alex Harrison. Uh, who is uh, now the dominant force in Age of Sigma. Yeah, somehow he's uh, gone from having a bad reputation in 40k to a bad reputation <laughs> in AOS. At least he's somehow. consistent. Uh, only Alex could do that, yeah. Um, but no, uh, he wasn't going to go to the London GT. He bought a ticket and I decided to buy it off him because uh, I know Josh was going and it just made it cheaper for us to split fuel and split the hotel and thankfully I went in the end hmm. because uh, I think I got three, four times the cost of the trip in, uh, in price, price support. support. What was the price support like? Um, uh, it's the best surprise support I've ever seen at an event. Okay. Were they, did like, they get help from um, GW on that or was it all sort of... So they got own? help from like Cromlech, uh, some <laughs> so scenery they were, companies. They were giving away and their price support was uh, was alternative stuff as well. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, they were supported by GW as well, because um, mm. I got two gold statues, which were the old Throne of Skulls awesome. statues, with the chainsword uh, on top. Then, so, because I won Best General, I got a five-foot broadsword uh, that has like Excalibur written on the top of it. Uh, as well as one of these GW statues. Uh, for overall winner, I got the London GT shield, so my name will be engraved on that. And another um, GW statue for being best newcomer, because it's the first time I've been to London GT. <laughs> okay. Um, and then with that, I got a copy of the limited edition Space Hulk, I got a copy of Prospero Burning, and I got a copy of uh, Knight's Renegade. So those three boxes alone are 200 and something quid. Uh, At least. They had a massive raffle. Second place got a silver GW trophy and about £75 worth of GW trophy, um, vouchers. Third place got more vouchers as well and a big GW trophy. The massive raffle... And uh, people who got best in race got £30 vouchers for Element. So in the end, I probably walked away with about £500 worth of stuff. Nice. Which was, yeah, the best price support I've been to. It's not quite American standard. I was going to say, that's that's, that's almost like professional gaming. Yes, it is, yeah. If you get one of those a week, you could actually make a living off of that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, My dad always says to me, why don't you do something like, a, a real sport or something where you can make some money from it. Uh, well, just just yeah. pick up uh, pick up League of Legends or Dota professionally. CS:GO maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, I know a lot of people who play those kind of games, but no, it's not for me. <laughs> so yeah, um, let's move on uh, because the main thing I really wanted to get your insight on is your your thoughts and impressions on Eighth as it looms uh, in the next couple of weeks. I believe they had made an announcement today that um, they will be giving us uh, a release date soon. 
Uh, I am thinking it's probably going to be seventeenth um, of June, which is very yeah. Close. That's the kind of rumblings we've heard as well. Um, so, I mean, their their output in terms of socials and and communication ever since they they started up the the little videos and stuff has been great in my estimation um and all of the stuff they've been releasing from uh, little tidbits of eighth edition um have been very interesting as well i know you've dabbled a little bit in terms of aos i don't know how much how much how, how far in you've gone um yeah i've played a reasonable amount um alex kind of wouldn't shut up about it on <laughs> team england so a couple of us got into it um like tony chu yeah um and Courtney Rhodes, so Courtney's near me, so I play quite a bit of AOS with Courtney. I've got my full death army, but they kind of hampered them a little bit with FAQs, mm. and uh, I didn't go then, the Tomb King route. Um, but no, I've, I've got all the books, I've got everything else, I've played quite a lot, I've walked around tournaments a lot, started doing my Zinch army, because go figure, Skyfires are pretty good, and I like Zinch. <laughs> um but I'm waiting for, I think, believe there might be a new General's Handbook at some point later this year. Yeah. So I might wait around for that after the ETC and then really hit AOS and start going to tournaments for that as well. So the reason I brought it up, though, is obviously the remarkable <coughs> similarities between um, a lot of the stuff that we've seen of 8th that's been leaked so far or released so far um, and AOS. Obviously, some distinct differences, um, but very, very similar um, what are your immediate impressions, given what you've seen? Um, from what I've seen, I've actually kept out of it a little bit because I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the kind of, oh, we've seen something little about the next edition, let's run with that and mm. start building ideas around it because I don't think that works particularly well. I'd rather see the book in front of me again because some people are saying, oh, there's loads of different force organizations and everything else. Well, that could be campaign play. That could be tournament play. We don't know yet. I need to see the book before I can really make decisions. I think it's a good idea from GW that they've gone more down the AOS route. In uh, I think currently there's probably more pages in the 7th edition rulebook for Universal Special Rules than there will be in the next rulebook as such. Yep. Yeah, twelve pages so, of uh, twelve pages of rules apparently, and there's definitely yeah. more than twelve pages of USRs. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> anything that makes the game just be able to just get out of a book, get out of a box, and play can only be good for forty k. I would worry that they might simplify some things and take away some of the tactical ability. I've heard that they've got split fire in there, the same way Age of Sigma works, mm-hmm. which I really don't like that because I felt that that if I've got five units to shoot you and I've got to kill three units, I've got to get my target priority, and that's part of tactics. Yeah, You start taking that out and you can go, oh, okay, I've got 50 guardsmen, I'll put 27 into that, I'll put 13 into that, and I'll put a sergeant into that. That doesn't quite make it make sense to me. Um, and there's a possibility like for that to really it. drag on as well. Um, there is a possibility of that. Yeah, if you really want to slow play somebody, you'll go, I've got 50 guards, I'm going to shoot one into each unit. Now, you get yellow carded straight away, but yeah, if you want to slow the game down, you really can. Um, Yeah, anything that... One thing that I found at recent 7th edition tournaments is you are so pushed for time Mm. 
every game. Like I got to five turns in pretty much all of my games, but I only really got to roll for six in one of my games because of the London GT it was two hours, 45 minutes for an 1850 point game, which is really pushing it. Yeah. It got to the stage where I didn't, I never set up my army and edited my games. I just deep striked in every single game because I knew that time's going to be an issue. If I skip my first turn, then I don't have to worry as much about time. Um, no, I'm actually quite looking forward to 8th edition. I don't agree with the ETC going to 8th edition because I think it's going to be an absolute mess trying to get it organised. But 8th edition as a whole, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't agree with everyone saying that it's going to be just like AOS. I think it's going to be completely mm. different in the way the meta works. I because really agree. the access to shooting is going to be different than AOS. The way AOS works at the moment is the armies that have quite a bit of shooting seem to be doing quite well. So things like Skyfires, Kurnoff Hunters, mainly because they're kind of undercosted, and you can abuse quite a few units of them. And it allows you to shoot people who might not have the ability to shoot back. If you then bring into armies that have loads of shooting and you don't have Death Stars anymore or really resilient units, then it's just going to be a firefight. Now, I don't know what the situation is with units being able to deep strike, outflank or be in reserve. They might have something like the Brotherhood AOS deep striking type mechanic. Mm -hmm. But if there's no way to actually reserve your army or keep things off the board, I've got a tendency to believe that there could be an issue with I won the role first or I've got I've deployed my whole army first you've had to deploy your whole army I'm just going to shoot you off the board mm. is the first turn role going to basically determine how games work now and from what I've seen as well there is no um, uh, priority role in this game either like there is an AOS which is a huge no. deal because the double turn in AOS is, it is a, such a big deal and there's so obviously, um, before they FAQ'd it, the the Zinch list that was based around um, Fate Weaver getting your double turns off was yeah, was and really then Sail and Stormfiends <coughs> and Mortal yeah, Wounds spam exactly, uh, and that's yeah. an interesting one as well. The Mortal Wounds and uh, ignoring invulnerable saves um, in 40k is going to be an interesting one. I think in terms of 40k, I'm really interested to see how everything works together because. There's so much more scope for like weird and wacky things in 40k, as you said. Everyone's yeah, got course. access to all these different fire. I mean, for example, in uh, in AOS, you basically everyone pretty much has the same gun in the unit. There's not a lot of scope for um, you know mix and match uh, weaponry in units. You know, you get one or two unit upgrades. That's about it. But obviously, in 40k, we know yeah. there's so much diversity there, uh, especially in imperial uh, armies. Um, it'd be very interesting to see how all of these very, very strange um, mechanics work together uh, under such a stripped-down uh, rule set. I'm very interested to see that. Yeah, of course. I think it's got... I need, Again, I'm just speculating. Mm -hmm. I would hate to see it become a bit like meat and potato, basically. It's very bland. There's no flavour in it. There's kind of boring, just basic marines with kind of guns i want this to be interesting stuff and loads of different special rules and a lot more unique type units um 
But yeah, we'll just have to see. I believe they've got points additions taking <coughs> certain weapons. So a bit like unlike AOS, mm. where you pay a points cost and you take whatever weapons you want. So pretty much just the best one ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, it allow you to still customize your list a bit differently that way. Um, but yeah, I'll just have to see. I'm looking forward to games not taking as long, hopefully. And I think that's really important as well in general, not not just for the enjoyment of it, but with Games Workshop getting more so into the streaming aspect of it and the, the mm. huge potential audience for that because uh, I don't know how much time you spent on them, but growing up, uh, seeing the, the amount of traffic that, that sites like Warseer and Bowls had, um, yeah, like lo- so many people, um, that it means the potential audience for like a Twitch stream is is really high if they get it, you know, get it down into into a, a watchable format. And yeah, you know, three out a three hour game is probably more than most people are willing to sit through, especially when it's not that interesting in terms of a broadcast. But like a quicker, more exciting game would definitely be more interesting to watch and maybe even watch back and maybe pick some strategic pointers out of. Um, Obviously, as a as a tournament player, you have the luxury of being able to speak to people directly, so you can kind of exchange ideas. Mm. Uh, but for the average player, trying to sort of learn how to get better at the game, there's not a lot of resources out there for people to sort of understand the subtle nuances other than let's all meet in the middle and have a scrum. Um, yeah, of course. Like I used to work in the war games industry, mm. and what we found was people moved away from large-scale battles or large-scale games because it the cost of getting into the game was too high yeah the games took too long and you had to go somewhere to play it you couldn't just get out a box play it on your kitchen table you had to Mm. go somewhere you had to get the terrain you had to have a table and it just became too much effort for people like normally if you get hooked on a game like that you can stay in it for a lot longer Mm. but the small-scale skirmish games, and particularly board games, are what really dominate the market now in terms of what sells really well. Mm. So the company I used to work for, Mantic, they just released a Walking Dead board game, mm-hmm. and I helped them out at Salute, the big trade show, independent trade show, and they had the biggest queue round the block. And it's a and it's a fantastic IP, of course. And you know, speaking of great yeah. IPs, uh, we saw over the last two years the growth of the um, of the Star Wars games, which again exactly. don't, don't have a huge outlay. Game. Yeah, you, you can, can literally yeah you can slap down a, a nice a cloth on top of your kitchen table, turn up with a handful of miniatures and some cards, and, and get some games in, and it and it's pretty quick. Um, and yeah, yeah. Let, let's be honest, Games Workshop miniatures are incredibly expensive. Uh, for most people they They definitely got a lot better in some ways with AOS with value for money yep and those starter sets have been very good Uh, but yes if you still think oh well I get 18 models for 50 quid which would normally cost me 80 so great I save 30 pounds but it's still only 18 figures for 50 pounds it's not really a lot but the detail, and they do have some of the best miniatures on the market. Oh, without a doubt, so. yeah, absolutely. But you as you said, when you when you need, you know, potentially, you know, if you're playing a horde army or, or something like that that's built around numbers, you you don't really get a great discount in terms of uh, points to pounds. So, say for example, someone wanted to play uh, Gene Steeler Colt. That's a great example that was recently, you know, an army of yeah. that 
bought legit through games seven hundred plus. Yeah, insane yeah. amounts of money. No one's no one's doing that. So uh, yeah, interesting. I, I, I'm really interested in how we can get more people playing the game and enjoying it, and uh, how Eighth will do that. One of the other things I wanted to ask you as well. So. I'm sure you remember when 7th came out and we were pretty upbeat about 7th. We were kind of really mm. positive about it. The rule set feel, felt good. It felt familiar. Um, and everything seemed to be a bit more enjoyable. We saw a big uptake in tournament attendance as well when 7th came out. Yeah. But obviously, then Codex books came out and we ended up with the same problem. Kind of seeing that a little bit with um, the Skyfires in AOS as well and to a lesser degree the... Uh, the Kernoth Hunters uh, as well, um, where something comes out and it's so notably better than everything else. And I think um, yeah. at the South Coast GT, I think eight out of the top ten lists had Skyfires in or something like that. Um, now, with the General's Handbook, where they're doing yearly revisions on points, I think more so than maybe you know actual changing stats and rules. Um, yeah. How important do you think it is to have these regular updates where something might come out and it's just a power level beyond what Games Workshop were ever predicting? I think it's important they do keep on top of updates. Now, there's a plus and minus side to that. For tournament play, it stops things just... Like, 7th edition when it came out was so popular because 6th edition was so terrible. 7th <coughs> edition started off fine, but if you tried to play 7th edition straight out of the rulebook, it wasn't that great because you just took the same source again and again and again until you filled your points. Mm. It was things like the ETC that really saved 7th edition for a lot of tournaments because it brought in, you can only take limitations, and they changed the Maelstrom deck so you could use it, and there was loads of ways you could win a game. You could lose on the primary missions, but you could get Maelstrom and kill points and actually still be in competitive games. What I think Games Workshop need to do is be reasonable with the time changes... So what you don't want to happen is they bring out things like Skyfires, everyone uses them for a month, and then GW changes it. So you don't want people to have to constantly keep buying things because that's the last thing. Well, they, they might do. <laughs> yeah, they don't mind. I'm sure it'll work for their shareholders. Um... Exactly. But for the actual consumer, it doesn't feel that great if you've just bought something and a month later it's pointless. And that's the other thing as well. I mean... Especially in AOS, where I've seen how much work people put into their list. I mean, less so much in, in 40k, where people's hobbying standards are not the greatest, let's be honest. Oh, they're not even close. Yeah, I've seen some real dog shit on the table in 40k tournaments. Um, but if, if, you're a, if you're a player like that, that really puts a bit of pride and effort into it, to, the, the amount of time and effort it takes to build, paint a, a, a unit for then... For, it, for them to turn around and patch that and nerf it or whatever terms you want to use, yeah. for it to be you know much less desirable, it's it's way different to playing an online game where all I'm doing is I'm selecting a character. Like there's so much more time and money invested in there. So I, I think what they're doing with G, uh, the the general's handbook, where it's like a yearly review, I think that's a lot better. Yeah, I agree. I think you need to balance the time you change things and also constant updates. Mm. And yeah, I think I think GW have learned a lot from Age of Sigma, and it's obviously what they've done is they've done everything with Age of Sigma. See how it's gone, then they'll do with 40k. What worked with Sigma? Uh, yeah, GW need to keep on top of things because seventh biggest issue was the frequency of books 
so quickly. It wasn't a power creep. It was a power surge. Mm. That like what became competitive one tournament to the next tournament was ridiculous. And the wording in the books was really lazy. Mm. There's, there were so many ambiguous issues and the FAQs for from both the ETC side and the GW FAQs again just contradicted each other or they had to work together and it just became a little bit of a mess in 7th edition. Do you feel it's a good thing then that they're in communication with uh, TOs uh, and uh, circuits like the ITC for example in which um, those those sort of competitive wording issues are, are much more relevant than sort of two people playing over a couple of beers at their local gaming club. Yes, I think it is really good that GW actually start reaching out to people. I think they're very pick and choose with who they reach out to. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I had to say who's doing the best on the tournament scene, it would still be Josh. He's been doing the best on the tournament scene for months. Mm. Now, I know there might be a conflict of interest because Josh works for a different uh, miniatures company, but there was no even, like, who does well at tournaments, who's a really good player, who do we reach out to play games to. There was no nothing really of that standard. And also, they reach out to specific tournament organisers. So, Zach's really good at running events, and I've, I really like the London GT this year. Um... But then again, you get somebody like Tim King, who's run in many events so for years. Many events. Yeah, yeah. But he's unapproachable by GW because he works for Element Games, so they can't. I believe the reasoning behind that is you can't seen show favoritism for certain stores who aren't GW. Mm. I get that. So there might be a conflict of interest with Element and Firestorm, but it would be nice if they got round to. Even if it was just non, uh, how do I put this? Like, even though they just questioned Tim about, oh, how would you like to run events or what's well, the best way to run? There's, no, there's no reason they couldn't bring someone from Firestorm in as well and just exactly not really not... take on board what they're saying as much as Tim. Like, you know, at the end of the day, as long as they're getting that response and being fair. Uh, and of course, they've they've spoken to many um, people from the American scene, which I guess is probably because of weight of numbers. Um, they seem to be doing all of their AOS stuff generally in the UK, um, possibly because a lot of their guys on Warhammer TV are directly uh, into AOS more so than 40K, which was evidenced by a lot of the commentary on the last few uh, Warhammer TV streams I've watched of 40K events. Um, but yeah, they seem to be engaging a lot more with the, the US-based guys rather than, yeah. say, the ETC guys. What kind of happened with... So the company I used to work for at Mantic Games, we made a game called Kings of War. Yeah. And we are the the latest edition of Kings of War. Was came that the one out. that Alessio worked on? Yes, yeah. he worked on that. And that came out when Age of Sigma came out when Age of Sigma had no point system. Mm. And we saw an like a huge spike in sales for Kings of War, predominantly from America. So the tournament scenes over there, they get Kings of War events with 100, 150, 200 people. Crikey. Age of Sigma events don't get that number. So a lot of people moved over from their fancy armies to playing Kings of War. They, if you piss off the American market, they will go and play something else. So if, I think GW really kind of hurt themselves a lot with the AOS over there. Mm. It's slowly coming back for over there in America. But yeah, here we're a little bit more forgiving. 
and the AOS scene has been really good here in the UK, which is great to see, actually. Mm. You can go to loads of different events, and people who used to play fantasy have adopted it now. Yeah, they've really turned that, that ship round, done a great job with that as well. Yeah. yeah it's, One it's... thing that's also surprised me is GW hasn't, as far as I'm aware hasn't reached out to the ETC at all. Yeah, which... that was that was one of the things that really confuses me. Especially yeah. given the number of ETC players they have in a very close proximity to their HQ as well. Exactly. Now, I can understand there's a possible conflict of in- issues with they currently play 9th edition Fantasy, which mm. is a game they've kind of written because they didn't want to play Age of Sigmar because mm. there was no points. So I understand you can't advertise the ETC because it plays a Warhammer game that doesn't isn't endorsed by GW. But it's still, it's the biggest tournament in the world for probably numbers. Um, maybe not for Warhammer 40k specifically. Mm. And I imagine most of the American events are bigger numbers individually for 40k. But it's still... It's twenty to thirty different nations all coming together to play one game. Mm. You think that would be an amazing thing for GW to stream and Absolutely. be involved with, but they just haven't. They've not. Uh, I'm friends with the organisers, uh, one of the um, chairmen for the EDC, and as far as I'm aware, they've not contacted him at all. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know what they're going to do, uh, but it, whatever's happening happening it's going in the right direction in the right way absolutely reaching out to people absolutely i think that's that's very much been the sentiment that um a lot of us here in the uk at least are uh, are saying that you know we're happy from what we've seen so far we're not gonna put the streamers and the bunting up yet though because we've seen this before a couple of times where things have gone in the right directions and then suddenly derailed very quickly like you said a power surge rather than the creep um, and things yeah going off the rails um but as it stands it looks quite good and of course the, as the communication if the communication is there at least they can take on board the feedback and people can identify one of the things that we noticed very very early on is when, when we were doing like the codex reviews or in you know the chat groups on facebook or whatsapp as and when codexes come out on the wednesday or thursday before the release by the saturday we've pretty much picked out everything that's like op most of the rules issues as well. And that's in like a day and a mm. half of people that are not doing it as a job. So I definitely think if you engage the competitive players, you'll be able to highlight those things that they might have not even realised they're an issue in terms of rules as written and rules as intended and all that jargon that they don't like. Um, we're happy to feed back on that and they can see what the problems are. Hopefully we can move forward with a with a, a game that, that plays smoothly and is fun and a challenge. As you said, you know, you can actually challenge yourself to play it rather than just picking stuff that's broken out of... Yeah, I'll hope there's more <laughs> diversity in 40k than there is in Sigma. I think, there's a, like you say, you can, you can find out what's OP in a couple of days mm. from basically looking at a book, whereas 40k currently, there's a lot of looking at the book and then looking at how you performed in specific games and what you played against because there's so much diversity in mm. like the four sources, whatever you can take... So everyone's list is kind of different. Sigma, it kind of, if you're taking Destruction, it kind of pushes you down, Cunning Rock and Thunder Tusks. Or it, if you're taking Norda Gunline, it kind of pushes you down, Colonel Hunters, Waywatcher mm. Lords, 
bolt throwers that kind of what Alex was using. Yeah. Or it pushes you down, sail. Chaos lists again, yeah, exactly. Bef- well, before the uh, Zinch book came out, but now. Skyfires, yeah. blood letters, lots of craters, all that kind <coughs> of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'd hope there's more diversity in 40k. Uh, but anything that stops people just spamming invisibility and. <laughs> um, this is the thing 7th edition 40k would be absolutely fine if they took out Come the Apocalypse and Battle Brothers. That's it. Yeah. You can't cast powers on big units if you're not part of, and be inside the same unit. I, that's one. Do you know what? Not I'm not. I'm not going to lie. No independent characters is one of my favourite things in um, in AOS. Um, I'm very interested to see how it's going to work in in 40k though, because obviously they have this targeting rule that we've seen where you can't target yeah. characters unless they're the closest. I'm sure there'll be rules that get around that, like snipers and that sort of stuff, so or indirect fire with barrage weapons or you know whatever they will be now. So there'll be ways around it, of course. But uh, it's very interesting. Uh, like you said, I'm, I'm I want to get the book in my hands so I can see how everything fits together. Because right right now we're looking at maybe five or six pieces of a puzzle and trying to work out what the whole picture is, which is which is a folly. So, Yeah, exactly. And it leads people to think, oh, this is how the game's going to be. And the truth is, the metal come out and we go, oh, actually, no, it's not what we thought at all. Yeah, it's all the way over here. This, this, this and that's the thing, thing. yeah. I'd w- I want to see the book, but yeah, I'd, I think the you can't shoot characters if something else is closer can be abused, but that's no worse than sticking all your characters in an Iron Hands Death Star and you can't kill it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, to be honest, that's still... I'd rather take that than... Um, yeah, well, I, that was one of my one issues sometimes. It's a Sigma. It's like, cool, I've got this great character, has an amazing power, has an amazing ability, and he gets shot by anything and dies. That kind of mitigated AOS um, power builds, though, than the fact that everything can die in AOS. I kind of like that in a sense that Everything can too. die in AOS, but obviously, yeah, you're right. There's, there's a, there's extremes of that as well. But then again, I agree with you. I think that is really good, and actually, it stops you just going, "Oh, he's got the best power. Stick him in a unit. He's brilliant." There you go. But it did again make you go, "He's got a great power, but he's just going to die every single game. He's not worth his points. Mm. I have to get pushed down this army build." Yeah, again. this so is the most effective the battle line. This is the best. Um, war scroll benefit for me. You know, I, I've seen it when the when the uh, when the Stormcast book, the the newest one, came out with the Brotherhoods in. You're just looking at which one's the best. Which one's the best exactly. one? Okay, let's just go down that route. Everything else, is, and I. <clears throat> that's why I, th- I would like to see a lot more in terms of playtesting done, where there are more options for viable builds. I think that was one of my biggest gripes with Seventh in 40k, that. Unless you had a book like maybe Tower, Demons, and um, Elder, of course, you're pretty much like, this is the optimal build. Until you started getting these crazy allies books coming out where you could put everything all in a big soup, it was very much like, this is, this is, the, this is clearly the best formation, so just forget about all the other ones, uh, and we'll go this way. I want to see I want to see books coming out with maybe four or five, and we can all have different flavors of <clears throat> of stuff there on the top tables. That'd be exciting. Yeah, that was I think that was the issue since Unari came out, where I can probably tell you four or five things that'll be in a Unari army. Mm. It's gonna have a Farsi, it's gonna have a Wraith Knight. It probably has jet bikes. 
and it'll probably have it might have warp spiders in it and it might have a warlock because you've got to take one yeah that yeah i can count on the, my hand how many units they're probably going to be in there um but don't get me wrong my list was no better mine had four <laughs> mask brimstones screamers and heralds yeah it's the same thing but i think there was more there wasn't 50 other people taking that at the, on the weekend though that's the thing no there wasn't and that's <coughs> kind of what i liked about the list as well it was good against what people were using and it was something different that I don't want to say I wrote it because anybody else could have written it. And I think I don't like when people say, oh, it's my list. I invented mm. this. No, the book came out. Anybody could have wrote that. But you took it, basically. Uh, yeah, exactly. I took it and started doing well with it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just a nice change. And it's I always like when people have to ask me at the beginning. So what does your army do? <laughs> and I'm like, great. That's a fantastic start for me. Um yeah, hopefully, we'll just have to see what 8th edition is like. Yeah, hopefully we'll get more of that in 8th. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Uh, and congratulations no once Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Uh, the king of 7th edition. Uh, and we'll <laughs> see you in a couple of months' time, hopefully in 8th. Yeah. Hopefully I'll win something over there, or I'll be in the bottom tables. One of the <laughs> Either way, we'll be having fun anyway. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. No worries. Cheers. Thanks very much. <laughs>